Welcome to Hoopsology. My name is Justin Goodrum, and along with Matt Thomas, our goal is to bring you quality basketball content from all over the hoops world. Before we jump into the show, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast to receive our latest episodes from journalists, authors, athletes from all over the basketball world. If you have a comment or question, please email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Now enjoy the show. We now welcome senior podcast producer of The Athletic and you creative lead and producer of Shattered Hope, Heartbreak, and the New York Knicks. We welcome Mike Smeltz onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Mike? Thank you guys so much for, for having me. It's it's going great. Thank you for, for uh, being so patient, too. We, we, we tried to set this up quite a long time ago, and I kind of got in production... Uh, production mess with shattered and then paternity leave. So I'm glad to be with you all right now. This is great. No worries. The timing worked out perfect. The season's about to begin. So it's perfect timing. So yeah, I listened to the, the podcast as we discussed off there, a big fan of it. Um, Matt and I are from the, the West coast. So just to get kind of the sensibility of a New York Knicks fan was this excellent insight. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of ask you, what was the origin in creating this project and what are kind of the the struggles and challenges that you experienced? Because taking on this project must have been very daunting for you. I mean, the New York Knicks, this has so many different angles to go. And so yeah. how did you get started? And what were kind of the challenges you experienced? Yeah, so for anyone who's listening who maybe doesn't know, we did this pod, uh, this podcast series, narrative podcast series about the past 20 years of the Knicks. So every time, all the time under James Dolan, basically. Uh, and sort of the source of it was, was that, um, you know, so many people talk about, you know, every regime changed with the Knicks. Dolan's kind of blamed for the bad things that happened, whether justifiably or unjustifiably. But I always felt like it was always just like a cycle of he's blamed for someone getting fired. The person's fired. They go on, they bring in a new regime, whether it's like Phil Jackson or Donnie Walsh, there's some hope. Uh, there's definitely like, that's kind of the thing about the Knicks is that they haven't been hopeless. There has been moments Jeremy Lin, Chris Epps, Porzingis, Marbury, when he did get traded to the Knicks was exciting. Um, but no one's ever kind of done the full picture of James Dolan's time uh, as the owner of the Knicks. And we really kind of went to dig into like what that looked like. And within that, obviously, we, it wasn't the entire focus, but that was like a big focus because he's the owner of the team and he's kind of he's a different type of owner than maybe some other ones. Um, <laughs> some interesting. And there's a lot of great stories about him, but also we kind of wanted to figure out, you know, why have the Knicks not been able to consistently win since Patrick Ewing left? And when Patrick Ewing left does coincide with when James Dolan basically comes in. So there's like a nice time element to that. So we, we, you know, we dove into that and there's a lot to talk about. It's a lot of, a lot of people that have been through the garden in that time frame. Um, and, and the one really nice part of it was, and I, I know we'll talk more about the series, but we, we ended up getting Chuck D from public enemy to be the host. And Chuck is, I mean, a legend. Be like we want, he's a massive Knicks fan. Like he's, there's like a, the Knicks fan TV is this big YouTube Knicks TV show. Uh, on, well, it's, it's a YouTube show and Chuck's in the comments, like commenting <laughs> yeah. along with the show. He's a big, awesome. so working with him was like amazing. Cause he, he is like, the, the level of talent that he has for saying words is beyond anything that I think I'll ever work with again. I mean, he's literally one of the greatest, you know, orders in rap history and he's doing 
you know, reading the words that, you know, I wrote, which was just like an ultimate thrill. It was amazing, you know? So in talking with Chuck D, what is his own sensibility as like a Knicks fan? Because you hear Mass Kellerman on, you know, these talking head shows and it's like, you know, you're enabling the Knicks by, you know, selling (laughs) out these home games all the time. So from a Chuck D perspective of just, you know, sticking with it and just, you know, supporting a team no matter what, what was kind of his sensibility in terms of the material you gave him? Was he does he have an optimistic attitude always about the team or is there kind of some like uh bitterness and some kind of despair in terms of working with him in terms of kind of going all, all going over this historical content with the Knicks? No, he's an optimistic guy and he's like real practical as a fan. If I like he, he was really just like about like the funny thing was we talked a lot about drama on the show. Like there's so much behind the scenes drama that we threw into the, the podcast, but like he as a fan is really like, I care about the on-court product. I just want them to play defense. So this past year, we were recording it mm. during the Tibbs revival, mm. which is like kind of a bad timing, sort of, to do a <laughs> podcast about how bad the Knicks are when they have their best season since the 54-win mellow J.R. Smith Knicks. Um, and, and like they seem stable right now. The But like Chuck is like just a hardcore, like I just want to see them make layups play defense like i don't want you know divas on my team and that type of thing he's great i mean what was great about him was that like there were multiple times when maybe i wrote something or like we were using a clip from an interview we're like i wouldn't even say it was like too harsh or anything but just that like he was like it was basically like it was like he had the truth because he was a fan so he knew if there was something that was like off he could just say like hey like this isn't even what necessarily happened uh which is great it was it was basically having one of the world's biggest Knicks fans plus this like incredible, you know, this person who just had an amazing ability to to speak. I mean, it's hard, you know. We 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 all speak for a living uh at times, but actually doing it and reading words off a page, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and he's the greatest at it, honestly. There's no one better. Mike, um, before I pass it on to Matt, I had another question about the the podcast series now was about the section on jeremy lynn um sure. what was that like reliving that period of time because i i think it's one, one of my favorite parts of the documentary just seeing his rising you know barack obama talk about him seeing yeah. just like him going from this sleeping on a teammate's couch to going you know toe-to-toe with kobe and kobe denying that he like knew about this phenomenon of jeremy lynn i thought that was hilarious so <laughs> I, I just what was what was that period like and what do you think of jeremy lynn's career afterwards because there just seems to be i don't know i get the sense there seems to be a lot of resentment towards him kind of which i don't understand because i think it's such a a inspiring story just to see this player come from obscurity and this for him to achieve the success but yet even his teammates were kind of out to sabotage him in in the grand scheme of things so what was that kind of experience like you know you reliving that time and telling that story again yeah so i was living in new york so i'm not a knicks fan so, but I was living in New York at the time. I was working for a radio station there. And I remember it was a news radio station. And Jeremy Lynn was such a big, I mean, such a massive deal that like, you know, we'd be sending reporters to Chinatown and you'd be interviewing people. And it'd be the lead story, you know, this basketball player. But then when I looked back on it, it was really only like three weeks. Yeah. Sanity. And it, it is kind of mind boggling how big Lynn Sanity was. I mean, it was a global event that ignited 
like brought f- people that typically you know aren't maybe fans of basketball or don't really get noticed as fans of basketball they brought them to the forefront and it was only three weeks and then it ended he got hurt and then he was off the team to the houston rockets because the knicks didn't want to pay up and what was so wild about that is if there's one thing you can say about james dolan is that he will pay money Mm -hmm. to make his team better he will do whatever it takes he will pay phil jackson 12 million dollars a year and then he'll fire him before that contract's up and pay someone else to take over the team. Um, he will, you know, the Knicks, I think for the first time last year was like the first time since they signed, I forget who it was when they had like real double salary cap space for max for agents. Like they've always been over the luxury tax. They had under Isaiah, they had the most expensive team in NBA history when Isaiah was running the team. Until uh-huh. the Warriors broke that record, like only like four <laughs> years ago. Jeez. And but but be, but with amongst all of that, Jeremy Lin, they didn't want to overpay for Jeremy Lin. And you know, I never. Well, I kind of we kind of did get people to end up saying this. I mean, we interviewed uh, Landry Fields, Steve Novak, and Jared Jeffries, who were all these ascendant role players with Jeremy as Lin Sanity happened. Like, what made that team click? was that Amari and Mello were hurt. Lynn takes over because they need someone to take the scoring. He comes out and he he hits fire. And obviously Novak was there. Novak is a big stretch shooting five who was hitting mm-hmm. threes. Uh, Jared Jeffries was like, like the more I talked to talked about him to other people, they were like, he was super critical because he could play defense and all that stuff. And Landry Fields, of course, was a really good player for the Knicks for a short period of time. Um, they all basically said that there was resentment in the locker room. They wouldn't say it was Carmelo, but like you can infer it was Carmelo and that's nothing new uh, to Jeremy Lin and that it was very shocking to them how quickly it all ended. I mean, not only did Jeremy Lin leave for the Houston Rockets, D'Antoni got fired before the season was over. Mm. Again, this is Lin sanity was the <laughs> peak of Nick's happiness post Patrick Ewing short lived. But the coach mm-hmm. who engineered that happiness gets fired before the season's over. <laughs> it's just man, and like so, Lin Sanity to me is almost is really the perfect example of why the Knicks haven't been good. Because sometimes uh, people say the Knicks haven't been good because they've been unlucky, right? Like they actually haven't since Patrick Ewing. They haven't done well in the lottery, ball bouncing, right? Like they'll they'll be just outside the pick. Like obviously, Steph Curry is mm-hmm. the most prominent example. But there's been so many times if you look at their drafts, like they're just a pick away from a superstar, right? Um, but they got lucky with Lynn. Um, and regardless of how his kind of career turned out, because he did get hurt a bunch, so that kind of sapped him of his abilities. Like they got lucky with Lynn and then they just let it go. And they got they had Mike D'Antoni, who I think is probably the best modern coach to have not have won an NBA championship. Hmm. He's, you know, he's had an amazing record particularly with scoring guards yeah um and they they fire him you know and so it, it and that was you know there's there's actually a bunch of different stories about why d'antoni got fired uh some people say like d'antoni just walked away because he knew it wasn't right for him some people say there was carmelo that was motivating it and some people say it was james dolan or a mix of all three it doesn't in the end he didn't stay uh so lynn sanity was the most is like the most nixian type 
moments. Uh, but again, it was also awesome. It was like uh-huh. talking to Landry Fields. He talked about, you know, Lynn sleeping on his couch, the famous couch story. And it's, you know, th- those are fun things to relive and hear about because it was such an exciting, almost innocent time. You know, in Nick's, totally. Nick's fandom. Totally. And, and I wanted to dive um, a little bit more into James Dolan with you there, because I, I do remember distinctly, like when they bring in Phil Jackson, you know, there was a, a lot of heat on James Dolan uh, after the team was unsuccessful, ha- had a rough start to that season, if I'm remembering right. Uh, but I do remember James Dolan saying, uh, which most would consider pretty, pretty admirable, uh, he was taking a hands-off approach. He said, you know, I gave control of this team to Phil Jackson. I need to let him do his thing. Has In the past, there was a very friendly relationship with Isaiah Thomas for a while there, uh, potentially to the detriment of the team. Has James Dolan always had this consistent hands-off ownership approach throughout his tenure there? Or has that been kind of a roller coaster ride? It's been a roller coaster ride. I mean, it is it is <laughs> it is somewhat accurate that um like Dolan did he 100% said like he almost li- I think he almost literally said I'm hiring Phil so you all know that I don't have anything to do with this team. <laughs> the the one thing I'll say about that is that so I got to interview which is one of my favorite things I got to get through the the research process was I got to talk to Clarence Gaines Jr who was the VP of pro personnel with the Knicks. He was basically Phil's right-hand man in Phil's front office. He was the only guy mm-hmm. that Phil actually got to hire at, at a high level in the front office when Phil came in. Um, um, I'm trying to think who was still there like at the time. Like There was multiple people that were still there that just stayed over for mm. the previous regimes. Mm. And it, it's one of those things where it's like, Phil is told you have full range to do whatever you want, but he could, he couldn't most guys when they come in to, or, or women in the future, when they come in to an organization, they, they end up kind of firing everybody mm-hmm. clean house, in, clean house, bring in their staff. And that's like, you know, that stinks, but that is kind of what you need to do to change culture. Phil mm-hmm. didn't do that. And, and partly it was explained Ian Begley from SNY. He talked to me. Who's awesome. He um, explained to me like, well, Phil didn't really have people because he's never did the job you know he was just a coach (laughs) but i but as i talked to clarence Gaines, it was like phil literally only hired clarence and was told to basically keep on the rest of the staff um so how much was he really fully resetting the deck when he came in you know that that is still sort of like a like a small way that james dolan impacted how that franchise went forward but it didn't necessarily mean it was bad. It was just that Dolan still, like Dolan, no, even when he was hands off, still set up a system so that he was semi in control. But he, I mean, he was, you know, there's a great story, and this wasn't on our podcast. I mean, we retell it, but I'll give credit to Adrian Wojnarowski. He had Carmelo Anthony on his podcast, hmm. and Melo tells the story of how he got traded to the Knicks, and it's it is, um, All Star Weekend, Los Angeles. Uh, the Nets offer like Derek Favors, I think at that time would have been Devin Harris and four first round picks to the Nuggets. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like all star weekend morning. And Carmelo 
and his people basically tell the Knicks, like, hey, if you really want me, you need to, like, make an offer. Donnie Walsh is running the team at that point. Donnie is basically pushed aside. I mean, he is. And Dolan works the deal with Masai Ujiri, who was running the Nuggets at the time. Mm. And Masai, of course, we all know, you know, fleece the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> and I asked, I asked Donnie about that. Now, Donnie's like the nicest, and he's on the podcast. He's like the nicest guy in the world. And he's kind of famous for never throwing anyone under the bus, even mm. though he's long gone from the Knicks at that point. Um, and he kind of like, he's like, no, I mean, we're always, you're always talking to the owner, right? Mm-hmm. Like he said, if you're making a big deal, you're always talking to the owner. But Carmelo literally describes James Dolan making, like, negotiating the trade. So, I mean, that's an unusual thing for an NBA owner. Um, And Dolan did that much more earlier in his tenure. In in the early 2000s to that early 2010, he has taken a much more hands-off approach. And for Knicks fans now, it seems like he's not involved. It seems like it's Leon Rose and World Wide West. but there's even potential issues with them uh, going forward that we just don't know yet. Mm. Going back to that uh, Carmelo Anthony trade, I mean, it, it was so controversial at the time. And, and especially, you know, Justin is in near the Denver area right now. We have a lot of friends in that area. I know plenty of Nuggets fans who just are of the mind that they will not forgive <laughs> Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, and and there were some brutal <laughs> games before he left. Um, you know, I I think it's tough. Do you do you think in the research you've done and, and just as a basketball fan in general, is there a way that a player can initiate a trade without what would be the best way to control the damage? Because there's there's always going to be emotion. There's always yeah. going to be hurt feelings, right? You know, my mind goes to what's going on with Ben Simmons right now, which has been, you know, kind of a, a train wreck type of story the past couple of weeks, um, mostly because maybe there weren't other stories until this past weekend. But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, damage control. What do you think um, is maybe the best way in the modern NBA to kind of control some of that damage? I don't, I don't think I think it's uncontrollable, right? Like we've seen every variation of a star saying I want out and all of it's ugly. Anthony Davis's situation, it was was ugly. I mean, the guy, you know, would stop playing basketball essentially and didn't want to be there. And Anthony Davis seems to be as nice as you could be. And he just uh-huh. he was like, I want to go to L.A. Um, James Harden, you know, goes unmasked to a party in Vegas and then shows up. <laughs> And not like fully in shape, but he was also honest from the very beginning with the team and said, I wanted to be traded. And I blame the team for that situation because Mm. they, they literally were telling people. I remember Tim McMahon from ESPN reporting this, that they were willing to get uncomfortable with James Harden, James Harden, James Harden told you what he wanted and you, he, he created uncomfortableness. And then, you know, so like it's a no win situation ultimately, but then again, I think most of these, most of the players, like, I think they now have seen it enough where they all realize, like, it's going to not be fun for X amount of months, and then I'm going to leave. The Ben Simmons thing is interesting because, as as a million people have said, no one has ever asked out this early into a contract of yeah. that magnitude. So, in Philly, you know, I, I live in right outside Baltimore, D.C. I know a lot of people from Philly 
it's a tough, it's super tough town. Um, you know, they're not going to forgive him for this. So like, there's no winning with Carmelo. What was interesting was I got to talk to George Carl, who was the Nuggets head coach and Carl is bitter. Like he is still bitter oh. about what, what, how, what Carmelo did. And he said, like, you know, Carmelo wasn't isn't a bad guy, but how he handled the situation. He was like, I had guys coming into my my office begging me to have the have Masai trade Carmelo because the situation was getting so bad. And he was like, is nothing that Carmelo technically did wrong. It's not like he was like uh, being a malcontent. It was just the fact that everyone knew he wanted to be traded and they were being asked about it every day. It was like there's no winning really besides. You know, the, there's no way to politely ask out of a, of a franchise. It's impossible. It really seems more and more as we go along, like emotion is tied into this even more than, and maybe this is just nostalgia. Maybe I'm, um, you know, not remembering um, some of the drama when I was a younger basketball fan, you know, like growing up in the 90s. But it really does seem like more and more like this is a relationship. Like <laughs> you don't want to break up. You don't want to hurt that person but there's it's always gonna hurt it's always gonna hurt and it's every fan base the only the, they'll never really forgive a guy for, I, I will say this and this wasn't a trade but Kawhi seems like the only guy who has left a team and everyone's just okay with it because he gave him a championship he was there for a year gave him a championship and then was gone that and how you can't really replicate that if you're Dame Lillard Bradley Beal anyone else that would eventually want to get traded I think I will say I do think Carl Anthony Towns could justifiably say to the Wolves fans like, hey, like I really tried. I would like to leave like Kevin Garnett. I actually to talk about the Wolves. Kevin Garnett's the only guy. It seems like that That's that true. left. But he also like a lot of really people were leave. happy for him. Yeah, he didn't really want to leave Minnesota even at that time. That's true. So, yeah. The one. That's an excellent point. Um, I want to get your opinion, Mike on the, the news of the day that's media day and one of the big topics was the vaccination status of multiple players and i just want to get your insight to how this is going to affect the the rest of the season from a you know camaraderie standpoint um what's going what's going on with Kyrie um with his press conference that took place you know if you're listening to this this was a Monday September 27th um during you know his I guess you would call it private media day at his residence or whatever he was staying at what do you get the feeling of players around the league in terms of their feelings among players who don't want to get vaccinated do you feel like, hey, it's it's their choice? It's you know that's on them, or do you think there's going to be some resentment uh, with you know their teammates not getting you know the vaccine because it's going to cost them games and cost their team potentially a championship or you know playoff standing down the line? What is what is your general feeling on how this is going to affect the season? Well, I think Kyrie's situation is different than like so. Bradley Beal was one who spoke about. Uh, you know, his skepticalness about the vaccine and getting the vaccine, what's the value of it. Um, Kyrie's is different just because he, and like Andrew Wiggins is in this class, he plays in a city that he is not by, by a local ordinance is not allowed to play in unless he is vaccinated. Uh, visiting players who are unvaccinated can play in New York city and San Francisco. And I think LA may be on the list, but I'm not sure. But if you're, and this is just how the rule is, if you are a player for the Knicks or Nets and you are unvaccinated, you cannot practice or play in New York City. Um, and 
and like so if you're bradley beal dc doesn't have that rule as far as i know and i live right outside dc so it's a situation where like you're one of his teammates ultimately it doesn't maybe it doesn't really impact you all that much right like yeah of course like bradley could get he had covid once and he could get it again and you know that that would impact it but it doesn't like he's not missing home games Kyrie is gonna miss games unless if he gets the vaccine or if he gets a religious or medical exemption uh which basically no one gets um so that what will that do you know the Nets are this really unique case because ultimately they do still have James Harden and Kevin Durant um I would I would think that it would wear thin on KD and Harden if Kyrie just you know sits out every home game, um, but you know that's just a guess. We don't know. They they both said Kevin Durant was asked about Kyrie's vaccination deal, and he basically said I expect to have the whole team at some point, hinting that maybe Kyrie will get the vaccine at some point down the road. But it comes back to like if if he hasn't gotten already, then what's going to make him change his mind? So it. The the thing about basketball, right, is that like I think the way the NBA's rules are, it won't impact the league as much as like the NFL, where you have quarterbacks who, if they're unvaccinated, like Kirk Cousins, you know, if they if they're in close contact, they then miss the next game. Like it just happens because of the days. Where in the NBA, like I don't like if Kyrie misses three games, that stinks for the Nets. If Bradley Beal misses three games, that stinks for the Wizards, but it also you know, it's just, it's case by case, but Kyrie could miss 41 home games if he doesn't, you know, get the vaccine, which is his decision, right? Yeah. Um, I want to get your insight, Mike, on this season overall, because we've talked to some journalists and, and hardcore fans that seem to have some resentment in terms of how the Lakers and the Nets stacked the roster. And it seems to be a foregone conclusion that the Nets and the Lakers are going to be in the NBA finals. And so what's, what's the even point of watching this regular season? Where do you lie on kind of this argument? Because we've heard some people be optimistic. Hey, like they, you know, that's why they play the games. A perfect example is last year. I mean, People expected the Nets to be in the NBA final. Um, Kevin Durant steps his foot on the line. You know, the rest is history with Milwaukee. So what do you, what's your expectations and excitement level for this season? Where do you lie in terms of, you know, your optimism per se? I mean, I think this is going to be one of the most exciting seasons that we have seen in such a long time. I mean, if you just go through, like I just pulled up the NBA standing so I could reference this properly. Like, if you look at almost each team that is considered a contender, almost a contender, they all have something to prove. They're all on a comeback trail. I mean, the 76ers mm. were the, the number one seed in the East last year, and obviously they have the drama that's happening there. <laughs> the Nets were yeah. the best team, but they had injuries, right? And so we're finally going to see the big three play together, except for home games, because Kyrie won't get vaccinated. <laughs> Uh, allegedly we don't you know we don't know for sure the bucks trying to repeat Giannis is trying to make history on his own um you know like being in this class of player where if he can repeat that is a super rare thing in the nba the the knicks are they stay you know are they really stable like if they do this for a, a year two that would show that leon rose and west are the best shepherds of this team since van gundy and dave checkets and pat you know patrick ewing at the garden hmm. hawks super exciting miami heat got kyle lowry and then if you go to the west it's like 
the Jazz were the best team last year in the Western Conference and blew it in the playoffs. The Suns were the ultimate surprise, one of the biggest surprises we ever had. Can they do it again? Right? Jokic is following up an MVP season. Um, Luca, is he going to be the MVP? For the Trailblazers, is Dame going to want to get out? And then you go to the seventh seed, who was last year, it's the Lakers, who are who are probably, if not the Nets, the, the co-favorites in the NBA to win the title. And I didn't even mention the Warriors. The Warriors are back. So there's like all these teams and all this drama. And I much prefer this over the what what it became with the Warriors when they had KD. And it was just like they were just besides injuries, they were gonna win, right? Um so this, I, to me, I know that the Lakers Nets are prohibitive favorites, but I, I, I could definitely, you could see, I think, another bundle of teams, the Bucks. I do think the Heat, if they played the Nets, would give the Nets a lot of trouble because of the way they can switch defensively. And out West, yeah, the Lakers, but I think there's a lot more of an ability for Western Conference teams to take on the, I don't feel like the Lakers are a juggernaut yet. I mean, I, you know, particularly in the playoffs because Russell Westbrook's just going to be an experiment that we won't know the answer yeah. till we get to the playoff time. Yeah. Agreed. I think it's going to be very entertaining. It could, it could be a train wreck. It could work perfectly. Um, <laughs> we have to wait and see this in terms of how those pieces fit together. Um, Mike, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Really sure. appreciate the chat. Can you let our viewers and listeners know where they can find you on social media and then any other projects that you're up to as well for the rest of the year? Yeah, so I'm at Mike Smeltz on Twitter, which, you know, not that much activity, but follow, you know, follow me. I, you know, I'll tweet out the random, I'm a Washington football team fan, so I'll tweet out the random thought. But for, again, for anyone who hasn't listened to Shattered, if you're an NBA fan, you're going to love it. If I can recommend just one episode, I mean, there's some other crazy stuff in there. The last episode, there's some really wild stuff about James Dolan that no one has ever known before and that we reveal. But the the episode about, the decision lebron's decision is my favorite because we get the former white house press secretary talking about what president obama was thinking during the time president obama was pushing for <laughs> lebron to go to the bulls and mm. we spoke to Edie falco from the sopranos because the sopranos the show had ended and her and james gandolfini who was the lead actor in the sopranos tony soprano of course um they did a they did a, a skit for the Knicks pitch video. And it was the last time that those two had ever done those characters. It was for wow. LeBron and wow. we have Edie Falco describing that, you know, and there's like a lot more funny, hilarious, embarrassing stuff that is in that episode. So if you haven't listened, it's shattered hope, heartbreak in the New York Knicks dive. It's just, it's just a blast episode four, the decision. If you don't like anything else, but the Knicks, that episode's <laughs> the safest place to be. It's really, a, 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 you know, I'm proud of it. It's a good series. Well, I appreciate your work on it, Mike. And it, it is a must listen to not only for Knicks fans, but just NBA fans as a whole in terms. I love their first episodes, too, in terms of just how, you know, the, just the origin of how James Stolen came to be the owner of the Knicks. I think that's very fascinating. Yeah. His father, too, just all that information. Really in-depth, really enjoyed the series. Appreciate it, Mike. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was so much fun.